I'm Silas Farley, and it's my pleasure to welcome you to Hear the Dance. On this episode, I am thrilled to welcome New York City Ballet principal dancer Jared Engel as guest host. Enjoy. Welcome to Hear the Dance. I'm Jared Engel, a principal dancer with the company and today's host. Today, we'll be looking at Jerome Robbins' 1979 ballet, The Four Seasons, a ballet I've been lucky enough to dance many times. It's set to the third act ballet music from Giuseppe Verdi's 1855 opera, Les Vepres Siciliennes, or The Sicilian Vespers, if you don't understand my bad French. The Paris opera's need for a ballet in the course of a five-act, many-hour opera is partly explained in the 1995 book The Verdi Ballets by Danish author Nulo Arne Jorgensen. And now I apologize for my bad Danish accent. Anyway, Jorgensen writes, The insertion of a dance divertissement in the middle of an opera would allow the members of the then highly influential jockey club in Paris to arrive at the opera after supper, just in time to applaud and ogle their protégés among the corps de ballet in the foyer de la danse, to which Véron, the company director, most willingly gave them access. Despite this seedy reasoning, Jorgensen writes that Verdi proved to be one of the few leading 19th century composers who, when composing for the Paris opera, responded with truly artistic sincerity to the obligation imposed by the management. This was a time when ballet was transitioning from the romantic storytelling of ballets like Giselle to a period that increasingly emphasized virtuosity and the strong point work and elevation of the Italian school, and the men were becoming non-existent. Perhaps Jerome Robbins could sense in the music that Verdi was responding to the increasingly proficient dancers, because in Robbins' ballet, it's a study of technique, with each season having its own set of difficult demands. But it's an uncomplicated and fun ballet. There are pretty costumes and music you can walk out humming. You don't walk away with questions, just a smile on your face. But in author Amanda Vale's Jerome Robbins biography, Somewhere, she writes that Robbins was intensely gratified when Balanchine, whom he asked to watch a rehearsal of the fall finale, turned to him and said, what you're doing is very hard to do. It looks easy, but only few can do it. Petipa, Novaire, me, you. I took this as a great opportunity to talk to the original ballerina in the spring section of Four Seasons, Kira Nichols, who made her historic 33-year career as one of the greatest ballerinas in New York City Ballet history seem as simple and uncomplicated as Robbins made the fall finale look. We talked about more than just the Four Seasons, including her start in dance, working for Balanchine and Robbins, and the confidence they allowed her to dance with, what motivated her and kept her dancing as a mother of two young boys, and what she now brings to the ballet studio as the Violette Verdi and Kathy Ziliak Anderson Chair in Ballet and Professor of Music and Ballet at the Indiana University Jacobs School of Music. Please enjoy my conversation with a legendary yet astoundingly down-to-earth Kira Nichols. Welcome, Kira Nichols, to Hear the Dance. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. So we are going to talk about four seasons today, but first I, I think it would be nice for the listeners to hear about your life and dance before four seasons. Um, so you come from a dance family, is that correct? I do. My mother, Sally Streets, was in New York City Ballet. And 
you had two siblings as well that ended up doing something sort of dance arts related. Was your household, you know, all about the ballet studio and the stage? No, my father was a professor at the University of Berkeley, biophysics. And um, my mother was a dancer and I had two brothers, an older brother that ended up dancing. And I had the joy of dancing with him in my mother's productions. She had a school and a little company. And I used to come back from New York City Ballet and perform with them. And I got the joy of dancing with my older brother. And my younger brother is a very accomplished lighting set designer who does sets and designs for ballet companies, San Francisco Ballet. He does modern dance, he does Broadway. So we all gravitated towards the arts. So did you feel like your getting into dance was inevitable or were you sort of pushed into it or just dragged along to the studio with your mom or was it just something that you gravitated towards naturally? Well, the minute I saw ballet and especially because my mother had a school, I loved it. And that's all I wanted to do was dance. So um, I was too young to start with the, the classes that she had at the ballet school. So I come along and it was held in my grandmother's basement and it had half of the studio was a ballet studio. And then the other half was a pool table with light up beer signs and everything. And so I come along and I'd hold on to the pool table and try to copy what the older girls were dancing. So that was my beginning. And then you couldn't stop me. And so this was in Berkeley, California. Uh, when did you start coming east to the School of American Ballet? The first summer I came was when I was 11. That's young. Jelana had given me the scholarship and um, I came that summer. I came the next summer. I came the next summer. Then I stayed. And was New York City Ballet and Balanchine always the, the goal? Or did you think about dancing in San Francisco or other companies at that time? I thought about it, but since my mother had been in New York City Ballet and I heard such wonderful stories from her and saw video and I just... That's where I wanted to be. And when you finally went to SAB full-time, was the training similar? Because, I mean, your mother had danced for Balanchine and there's a ballet wrist connection, I think, with your, this, your other teacher, Alan Howard, was it? But then also the ballet wrist teachers, you know, Danilova and at SAB. Did it feel like a big shock or was it there a similar approach to what you were used to? It was very similar because my mother taught very Balanchine and, and Alan Howard had been in New York City Ballet also. So um, they had that there, but I had a real strong technique at that point through those two, two teachers. So when I came to SAB, I just had to learn more of the style of, you know, City Ballet. Mm -hmm. um, Danilova, Dubrovska, uh, Muriel Stewart. It was a wonderful, and Suki was just starting. Suki Shore was just starting out teaching at the school. So, and Stanley oh. Williams was there. And it was a great combination of teachers. And was, was there any teacher that felt like a particular sort of mentor that you would go back to when you got in the company and take class or? Or that teacher that would come back after a ballet and tell you what was good or not good sometimes? No? No, but I did go back after I had been a principal for years. I went to take Tumkovsky's class, Madame Tukovsky. 
And I thought, how hard could this be now that I'm a principal dancer, you know, it should be just a breeze. And all the young dancers in this classroom, when I walked in, they looked at me like, are you sure you want to <laughs> take this? And I said, oh yeah, this will be a breeze. And I, I got halfway through and I thought I was going to die. It was, it's, oh. doesn't matter what level you are. Her class was so hard. I remember my friends talking about how some girls would try to fake fall just so they could stop the combination for a little bit because they were just exhausted by these. I mean, these combinations were so long and full of, you know, everything, any step you could imagine. That's very funny. Did you ever want to go back to California or did you just love New York and the ballet world from the beginning? I loved every minute of being in New York and being on my own and dancing and there was so much excitement at that time because Balanchine was still alive, Jerry was choreographing. So we spent almost 24 seven in the, the theater and, you know, with these great choreographers choreographing and inspiring us and teaching class and everything. There's no place I would have rather been. I went home to sleep in my apartment and then I went back and it was just, it was just the energy and the building, you know. You became an apprentice when you were 15, is that right? And then that's quite young. I wouldn't have changed anything. <laughs> that's what we like to hear. This is a happy podcast. <laughs> Do you remember your first company class? Was it Balanchine teaching? Yes, it was. It was very intimidating just because it probably is the same way now, but everybody had their spot spot at the bar and in the center. So when you're new, you go in there and you go, where do I stand? What do I do? You know, and you kind of hide in the back in the corner because that's a comfortable spot. And then, yeah, Balanchine's class was like nobody else's. It was just, you had to get there an hour ahead of time just to warm up because it was not for a warm up for the day. It was to work on things and especially work on things that he was trying to decide if he wanted to put in his ballet. Steps, are they possible? How fast can you do it? And the re repetition was amazing, you know. Yeah, it was very intimidating, especially with all those stars like, you know, Kay Mazo and Karen von Oldingen and Jacques D'Amboise. I knew Jacques D'Amboise. My mother had been the roommate of his wife, Carrie D'Amboise, on tour when she was in the company. So I spent my last summer staying at his house during the summer course. So I got to know Jacques. And Jacques was a real, he was my mentor in the company because he saw my potential, but he wanted Balanchine to see it. So he helped me out. He would um, help me with what Balanchine wanted out of that step, you know, and work with me on the side. And then he, we had a lot of those festivals at that time. The Ravel Festival was coming up and Jacques took, used me to work on a ballet. I worked on Sarabande and dance, and it was to be for Kay Mazo, but he used me as somebody to work on. And that really helped me, kept my self-esteem high, you know, not feeling like I was falling through the cracks. So with Jacques' help, when did you first catch Balanchine's eye? Do you remember a moment or a part that was given to you when you started getting sort of noticed and pushed to the front? It was in Paris. I finally 
pulled it together and got really in shape. And I was trying to dance the way he wanted me to. And he noticed it. He stopped me on the stairs. And um, I think we were, I can't remember which theater we were in, but he complimented me. And then thereafter, I started to get little roles, like soloist roles. And then my first big thing was that it went up on the casting. Um, fourth move would be, say, the lead of that. So that was sort of the beginning where Bale Machine noticed me. Did you end up getting sort of stuck in Bizet fourth movement forever? I feel like that can happen when someone's really good at it because it's so hard. <laughs> yeah, the whole cast would change and there I was still running out of fourth movement Bizet. <laughs> at 10.30 every night. <laughs> yes, exactly. I mean, you must have still been quite young, probably like 18 or 19, would you say? I got in when I was 16, 74. So it was probably, I was about 18 at that point. And then did the roles just sort of keep on, keep on coming? I was paired a lot with Karin von Arledingen, like in um, camera music. And, and then when he put Suzanne back into Apollo, when she got back, he paired me with Karin and... Suzanne. He had sort of a look that he was looking for, and I was seemed to fit that. It's so interesting because you ended up, you know, sharing stage with Karen and Suzanne, and then later sort of doing so many of their parts, but temperamentally and technically, they're so distinct and, as are you, so different. What was it like to step into their roles, or what did you try to gain from watching them without trying to imitate the things that made them so unique? I think it had to do with how balanced he made us feel. You know, he always wanted us to be our own selves, you know, individuals. Because if you looked at the court of ballet and some ballets, you saw each individual dancer. You didn't see just a line of people looking the same. So I grew up with that early in the company. And so when I would do Suzanne's roles or Karen's, I really felt like, how, how do I hear the music? How do I feel it? The first time I did Diamonds was, I think I was, wasn't a principal then. I was um, still a soloist. Suzanne was out for some reason and he needed to fill those roles. And it was doing Diamonds with Peter. And I felt very intimidated and very uncomfortable, but I did my best. I tried to make it. But the first thing Balanchine said to me, he came up to me and saw me in the headpiece and he said, oh dear, is that, is that Suzanne's? And I said, yes. And he said, oh, it doesn't look the same. And I said, well, it's a different head. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I was thrown into that. I only did it there in Washington a couple of times. And I did also fourth moon Brahms with Jacques. I was 17 <laughs> and it was wow. or 18, you know, and it was pretty intimidating, but you know, and then Jerry threw me into um, the pink girl in dances that Washington, I guess a lot of people were out or something, but I danced those three things and boy, was it a shock, <laughs> but I didn't dance diamonds. Then after for a long time, I did emeralds instead. Well, the, the foundation was being laid for these roles that you would later, you know, own, in my opinion, for many years. <laughs> I guess so. I think it's also maturity. You just, to dance those kind of roles, you have to have some kind of maturity in you. Yeah. 
you briefly mentioned Jerome Robbins, but um, I was surprised to read that Spring in Four Seasons was the first Robbins piece you worked on. Yeah, I had done a monster in Firebird, his, you know, monster scene. And I was kind of the back row of Goldberg variations. So at that point, I thought, well, I'm not a Robbins dancer. And I said, but I'll dance balancing, you know. Not too <laughs> Don't bad. <mind> just dancing <laughs> then all of a sudden on the schedule, my name was up there, Robbins Nichols. And I was like, oh my gosh, that must be a mistake. You know, because I just really felt like I was not a favorite person. And so it was a very interesting experience going in the studio with him because I didn't know what to expect. I've seen him work with other people, but I didn't know how he was going to be with me. And you know what? We hit it off right away. He just started dancing to the music. And I just tried to emulate what he was doing behind him. And it was tricky because he was a left turner. And so he'd do some things to the right, some things to the left. I, when I first began um, dancing, I did turn better to the left, but then, you know, my mother emphasized right because most, most of the time you're gonna go to the right. So he'd go to the left and he'd do something on my weaker foot. And I go, oh my gosh, I, I guess I just have to do it. You know, so that's how that solo sort of evolved, him just moving and me following him around and doing whatever he gave. If it's to the left, I was going to make myself do it to the left, and if he did it to the right, I did it to the right. That's why it has such an unusual sort of pattern, and it covers the whole stage. I mean, fiendishly difficult. It's really impressive choreography when you really look at how much control you have to have over yourself in all these pirouettes and shinnies and you know but it flows so beautifully that's what i i love about both balancing and robbins especially robbins is that it always flows really well i don't feel like i'm ever fighting my body to do it to dance it i don't know but it was it was a real surprise that that turned out to be such a special thing when i just really thought i was not a robbins dancer performance of spring was done on a, a performance called sketchbook i don't know if you heard about that it was kind of a mishmash of ballets jerry had been choreographing the art of the gentleman a fencing ballet and he hadn't quite finished it peter had done a pot of deux, and i think there maybe was something else and so they put that together as the premiere for that season and that was in 1977 and Danny Duell was supposed to be my partner. That's who Jerry choreographed on. But Danny was in other ballets on that program. So Jerry had Peter Markham's learn it and dance it with me. And did it change much from being in the sketchbook sort of preview performance to the, the next season when it went 
with full costume in all the other seasons? No, it was, it was pretty much the same. He did have, you know, how he has many different little versions, but he had finally settled on what they were by the time we did Sketchbook. That was an exciting time, at least it seems like it would be, because Barishnikov had just entered the company. Was that, a, was that a big deal? Because this Four Seasons was the first ballet that Jerome Robbins worked uh, with Misha on. What was that like for everyone? It was exciting. Um, the audience has changed, you know? Mm -hmm. Much more enthusiastic, you know, because of Misha being there. And um, it was wonderful to see both Balanchine and Robbins get so inspired when he came. That brought back so much life in Balanchine, working with Baryshnikov and Jerry too. So you could feel that energy in the theater. I always think it must have been interesting when you're when you were done with your spring section to go watch the fall section because it was Patricia McBride and Misha and then Suzanne Farrell and Peter Martins to watch the two different versions of the of the ballet. Were they was that the only season that had two casts? I can't remember. Yeah. You know. But it was exciting. I I have to say throughout my whole career, especially when I was young, I spent a lot of time in the wings watching. You know, I learned so much from that. Watching Suzanne, Patty, all of them dance and their rapport with their partner and stuff, you know, took here and there from all of them, you know, but made it my own, so. Did you ever do any of the other seasons or did you ever want to, to try your hand at, at fall, let's say? No. <laughs> no? No, I, 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 I cherish the spring section. It's, it's such a special thing to my heart, you know? And I was, um, just a couple of years ago, I got to set it here in Indiana University, ballet nice. here, just the spring section. And that was really fun for me. What was it like, like stepping on stage in spring? Can you describe what it, what it feels like, what the rapport is with the four gentlemen or with your partner or kind of what's going through your, your head before you go on stage? I guess I thought a lot about how Jerry wanted us to approach the steps, you know, musicality, the feeling. With Jerry, there was always this um, kind of casual, you know, um, flow to his movement. And I found that very calming, you know, In the beginning of that potage is so calm and pure and so I just get into the music and, and think how he would want me to flow and how the music goes together. That's why I danced, it was the music. I love the ballet steps, but I love music. And so that music was, all the music I've ever danced to is beautiful, but that was especially lovely, you know, just a very calming feeling out there. And I never felt like, Jerry ever wanted us to push too hard and sell to the audience. It's at least not that part. That was very sort of everybody looking into what's going on on stage. You know, mm -hmm. that, that we're not, we're performing, but we're doing our thing in our special little environment there. That helped me with a lot of ballets, feeling like I'm in my little bubble on stage, even though I'm performing for the audience. I got, would be in my, you know, 
a very calming place out there. Even in Lakota, when you're dancing with your partner and you're doing the little steps and they start to build and build and you're looking at it and, and we're always sort of connected. So you weren't really thinking about, oh gosh, there's thousands of people out there. Yeah. <laughs> I also love the parts, which sometimes looks very easy and sometimes not when, it, when you get thrown by the, the core guys in the finale. <laughs> do, you, do you have any faux pas there? Oh yeah, where they they slip and you're down on the floor, you know, <laughs> boom. <laughs> but, uh, those things happen, you know, yeah. and that always draws the audience in so much, you know, they're like, oh gosh, she got up and yeah. <laughs> she's going on. <laughs> I had the honor of being the core guy when I got into spring that did the one grand jeté lift and hold in the beginning of the pot with you, which was a great, it was a great honor. It went well. I didn't drop you. So <laughs> one of those special, special sort of chosen moments for the, for the core guys. And also, I just remembered, I was the core guy in NG Major that did the pirouette and the drag back. I remember that. Yes. <laughs> so two great honors in my, my growing career. I think at those moments, I wish I was younger so I could have had dance four with you. Oh. <laughs> Just... <laughs> so you said Jerry, you and Jerry didn't talk a lot. He didn't have to give you too many words and words about steps. It was just a sort of unspoken understanding that you had. Yes, exactly. I, I can't put a finger on what it was that clicked with the two of us, but it was, you know, even as I got older and he was getting older, you know, there was a connection between me and my son, my first son, you know, Joseph. Jerry just fell in love with him. And he'd <laughs> uh, want Joe to come to rehearsals and sit on his lap. And Chuck would bring his, um, Chuck Estergaard would bring his dog and the dog and, and Joe on his lap. Jerry was so content. You know, and then there was one time I danced other dances and I thought it had gone really well, but Jerry came to my dressing room and knocked on the door. And I thought, oh, he's going to tell me I was uh, wonderful. Um, no, he, he said, is Joe here? <laughs> he wanted to take Joe out, my son Joe, out to the um, piano before the concert. And he sat him down on the piano on his lap and started to teach him how to play the piano. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was, a, it was a very unique relationship with Jerry, I have to say. The next ballet you did together was Piano Pieces, which is also going um, in this uh, New York City Ballet season. What do you remember about that process? Kind of the same ease of creation? It was a little different because my part was um, first, he started choreographing on Stephanie Saland. And then he changed his mind and then I stepped in. But he did the start the pas de deux with me and Dan Duell. And all of those things are very similar. You know, Jerry worked a certain way and you had different versions, but um, I always went in there just going, I gotta just follow his movement and what he was doing. I was not trying to make it, you know, something else. 
That's a beautiful pot of it too. I, I did that with Jenny Samoji and Sarah Murns a while ago. And it, again, the mood on stage with your partner is very calming and generous. And it's, I'm, I'm excited to see it go again this season for sure. It was a hard pot of deux because it has a lot of starts and stops. So it's hard to get a kind of a flow going to it. And it was really about the relationship, mm -hmm. the two people. So once you started working with Jerry with Spring, were you working with him the rest of his, his time at New York City Ballet? You were always, you were officially a, a Jerry dancer from then I on. I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> I had graduated. Can you pick one as, you, as, as your, let's say like Desert Island Jerry Ballet that you could take with you and dance forever? If you were only allowed to take one, I know that's a hard question. Dance is at a gathering. Uh-huh. Dance Patty's role in that. And I, those potages are just amazing, you know. And I'd probably be, if I was on a desert island, I'd probably be walking around looking at the palm trees like Jerry wanted us to look at the lights and everything. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so it would fit in well there. <laughs> you danced for many years after Balanchine passed away and even after Jerry passed away. How did you stay motivated after after? Balanchine's death or just with you know having a, such a long and fruitful career what's kept you interested probably my love of the dance music and I always had Balanchine and Jerry in my heart you know when I danced and I always danced this might sound selfish but I danced because I loved it and I did it for myself I didn't need other people to tell me, you know? I was like, I knew how, from a young age, I knew how I wanted to dance. And I was lucky enough and blessed enough by Balanchine and Jerry to be given that privilege to be able to do it that way. Mm -hmm. I always respected what how they wanted me to do it and everything, but I always, did it a little bit my way, you know? And I think that's what kept me going. When you worked with Balanchine, did, did he have a lot to say to you in class or in rehearsal? Or was it kind of, he saw how you worked and saw that you were, you know, learning what he was giving to the room or to the experience, but you didn't need a hand to guide you forcefully? He had very few words for me, but he saw that I was, learning and doing what he wanted and um so there was no reason to say anything if i was on the right direction mm -hmm. so what are some of your favorite balancing ballets did you gravitate towards like a a tutu a raimonda or episodes black and white or are they all sort of in the same category well i had to dance all of them you know, from Ballo della Regina to theme to, you know, the black and white ballets. 
my favorite were ballets like Allegro Brilliant, you know, the chiffon skirt, the more romantic, I love Liebesita waltzes. Those were really my favorite type of things. But I, no matter what I was doing, I, I liked it. But if I had to pick exactly what I wanted, and I love doing Pavon, um, tutus, I always felt kind of exposed, you know, that it was not perfect and that I found that stressful. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I had to do it. <laughs> so I did it <laughs> the best I could, you know. What was ballet, did you find the, the hardest? Like technically the hardest? Because you did everything that is considered hard. I would say theme, theme and variations. Because it is just, it's technique. Mm -hmm. I used to get nervous for that. Who did you first perform theme and variations with? Sean Lavery. Oh, that's nice. So you, you had a good partner, a steady hand beside you. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Making me smile. You know, I did theme and variations for the very first time. Yes, I think it was for Sean. In Germany or Paris, and it was a rake stage. Oh, no. <laughs> that was a nightmare going through this into that variation, shine, shine, step up, turn, <laughs> going downhill, yeah. Well, maybe that's the best way to get thrown into it because I don't think it can get any harder than a theme debut on a rake stage. So maybe every other time was a little bit easier. Yeah, exactly. Did you have any specific pre-show rituals or warm-ups? Like, were you very superstitious before having to go on to dance all these hard roles or? Did you just take it as it came each day? I pretty much did, you know. I did always put my left shoe on before my right shoe, but <laughs> maybe <Okay>. that's being superstitious. <laughs> but um, no, I just always felt that we're we're human beings and each day is gonna be different. And like to put the pressure on that every day is gonna be perfect, you know, it's it doesn't help you. I always thought about enjoying myself listening to music, let that pull me away. And you had two children and danced after, danced after both, right? Yes. That must have been gratifying yet crazy. <laughs> Just schedules and time. Having children changed me completely, you know, in terms of my career. All of a sudden, there was something more important than if I make that pirouette or have a good pair of point shoes. You have this child. And um, so it, in a way, I would say it freed me up to just dance. I wasn't so self-involved, you know? I'd run from the theater to go see Joe, and then I run back to the theater, do the performance, you know, back and forth. And then when I had my second child, Cameron, we lived in New Jersey, in Princeton. So I commuted, you know, so. Mm. Um, but I felt like I danced better then or differently, just because I was more free, not nice. worried about stuff. Well, also as a mother of two, that's probably the only time you get to yourself is when you have your point shoes on, on stage. So you have to enjoy it. When you go through the Lincoln Tunnel. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's your, that's your um, self-care time. <laughs> Inching um, along. Exactly. <laughs> Is there any ballet that you missed out on doing that you wished you had done? 
You know, there are probably a couple of them, but I had such a full career and danced so many things that I, you know, when I retired, I felt like I had danced everything, even though I might not have. Yeah. So you retired in 2007. Is that the right year? I think so. 2007. Long time ago. I remember that show. It was what what your final show was um, Serenade, and was it David's Bundler as well? David's Bundler and then Vienna Waltz. And then Vienna. Ugh. What a way to go! Yeah, that's um, retiring was kind of a hard decision, just because you know when you do your retirement performance, that's your last performance. You can't redeem yourself. You know, mm. so when Peter Martins came to me and said, oh, we have to do a big celebration for you. And I said, oh, I don't know, you know, because I was so worried that I was going to something was going to happen. I would, in the rest of my life, I was going to think, oh, couldn't I just do it again? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> but by the time I got there, I just was swept away just doing dancing serenade for your final performance. It's just, you know, how can you not get just into the role? And I couldn't have been happier that evening dancing. But it, there was that worry that it not not go well. But yeah, unfortunately, I I remember trying to sabotage it in my own little way because we had one moment together in David's Butler where the four couples are on stage and I I wasn't your partner, but I have to give my hand to you with this hand and that hand, and you kind of do these little steps and fake grab my hand, and for some reason I always wanted to give the wrong hand there. And I even like tried to practice it before the show, which I never practiced things because I messed them up. And of course I offered you the wrong hand and you just smiled and said, other hand, <laughs> very, very sweetly. <laughs> and I was, I was devastated. I was like, I ruined the show. <laughs> From that day on, you never made that mistake again. Uh, yeah. <laughs> So after you stopped dancing with the company, you taught at Princeton Ballet for a while. Is that correct? That's right. I taught for a while at Princeton Ballet. Then I built the ballet studio next to my house, and I taught private lessons there for a long time. And then I was asked to be a ballet mistress with Pennsylvania Ballet, or Philadelphia Ballet, as it's called now. Mm -hmm. And I did that for a while. And I set Serenade, Barocco, a number of things there. So that was sort of my beginning of setting ballets. And then I got a call from Indiana University, the Jacobs School of Music, and they offered me a professorship to teach their ballet department here. So that's where I am now in Indiana, Bloomington, Indiana. That's great. So you've, you've uh, you know, sort of living both of your parents' lives. You were a dancer and now you're a college professor like your father. You're like the perfect, the perfect mix of both. That's, that's great. My mom kept saying, oh, dad would look down and be so proud at you. <laughs> you're a professor now. <laughs> Not that he wasn't proud of me before, but yeah. So it was a change coming here, you know, um, but I'm loving it. You know, it's interesting college students are very different than a company, you know, teaching, teaching them in a class. It's different than a company class. They're very eager to learn, you know, because 
in company class, you're there to warm the dancers up. Here, you're, you know, you, you're trying to fulfill different aspects of a ballet career for them, you know? And so it was a change to come here and, they, you know, being in college and the university, the dancers are very question. They want to know, they, you know, figure out things and this and that. And it's, it's a little different than what I was used to. If I'm well, making the, any sense. Yeah, well, the, the philosophy of sort of don't think, just do. But in college, you're, you know, you're, you're there to think as much as you can, I imagine. So I, that must be hard to sort of mix the two things. I do use that phrase. Don't think, dear, just do, you know, mm -hmm. I say to them. But it's a wonderful program because we have this big um, theater that's connected to ballet studios or up above and big, huge stage, that, which we get to use for performances. So we have fall ballet, spring ballet, and we do a Nutcracker. So they get a lot of experience at performing and what it would be like to be in a real ballet company. So that's makes this a very unusual place. What do you have coming up with your students for your next performance? Spring show, and we did Swan Lake, the white act and some Bourneville. And then I did the first pas de trois in Angon, mm -hmm. which was different because you have the big Swan Lake and then you have Bourneville, which has lots of costumes. And then it was very, you know, the balancing in between, it was a great experience for them. And then in the fall, I'm doing Vault's Fantasy. Yeah, and then mm -hmm. Serenade in the spring. So that'll be exciting. What is your favorite advice that you give to your students? and people that you stage ballets on? I have a number of things that I tell them, but my big thing is that I want them to be musical, to listen to the music. You know, don't just think steps. Yes, you do the steps, but you have to, there's more to it than that, you know? Because dancers can get into that habit of just thinking steps, but it's more, listen to the music, the music will tell you how you, should be dancing. So, no big words of wisdom. <laughs> well, I don't know. I'm sure that's not true, but <laughs> maybe you just lead by example because, you know, certainly watching you over the years was like you emanated such a sort of sense of calm and just um, sort of selfless like selflessly giving yourself to the work into the music into the moment that it was i mean that's what i aspire to and i think most artists aspire to i loved every minute of my career and i feel very blessed that i got to have that and have it during the time that balanchine and jerry robbins were alive you know and now you can pass it on positively pass on that legacy to many dancers. Yeah, that's what I feel like I do. It's not that I'm a great teacher, but I pass on my knowledge of what I learned from not just Balanchine and Jerry, from my mother, you know, from Alan Howard, you know, from everybody, Danila, everybody I've, you know, experienced over my career. I, I take a little bit of all of them. And I think maybe is a kind of a mishmash of stuff, but um, you have to try different things to get 
something out of somebody. It's not only, only one way, it's maybe what I'm trying to say. There's many ways of doing things and, and to get the best out of the dancer, you have to try those. And I think me trying to take from all these different people, little things, you know, that I remember and trying them on the dancers can hopefully help them. <laughs> I'm sure. I think that we have reached the time any last minute words of advice or encouragement to the to the ladies that will be doing spring this season? <laughs> Enjoy it. That's great. <laughs> you can only dance so long that if you don't enjoy it, you have to, you know. Rethink your priorities. <laughs> Just, they should think about how they want to do it. Don't think about people who've danced it in the past. I will, I will pass it on. <laughs> We're all built differently. We all look different and we have things that we are special about our style, but just like bring that out. That's what I do with the students here. You know, when they dance spring, it was like, yes, this is the way I did it, but you figure out how you want to do it. So it makes it look comfortable, you know? Yeah. You can't go on stage in Suzanne's headpiece. You have to go on stage in your own headpiece. Right? <laughs> In the best way possible. <laughs> really? <laughs> exactly. Well, thank you, Karen Nichols, so much for joining us on Hear the Dance podcast. Thank you for having me.